1: Garden Church podcast.
2: Hi friends, I am so grateful to be with you today as we continue our journey through Advent. If you've been following with us over the last few weeks, you may know that we've taken a slightly different turn, a slightly different pace from the normal Advent themes, but still we are here preparing for receiving Jesus our Savior and we are preparing our hearts that we might be ready for that. So this week we celebrate the peace that is ushered in at the birth of Jesus. And I must say that this word, this word peace, but this idea is such a timely word for our culture. And I I don't even have to go much farther than my own life than to experience what I mean when I say that, the lack of peace that I choose every single day. But it's in the world around us as well. See, I'm reminded this year at Christmas, I love this Christmas season. I am kind of a Christmas nut. I love the nostalgia. I, I may not be as crazy as, say, my brother Eric, who's probably honestly been Decorating his house since August, but I love it. I love everything about it. I'll even do the Hallmarks. My wife loves Hallmark movies and for some reason it becomes a part of our rhythm now. But I love all of it and every year I want all the nostalgia. I want all the carols and lights and I love making things for our neighbors, whether it be cookies or meals or whatever it is. I love this season and every year I I tell myself I'm gonna plan better I'm going to be more organized and I'm going to work my way into being more present to enjoy everything that the season has and I'm gonna find peace but I hit Christmas I hit the season and there are celebrations and presents and carols and even cider and less and less peace and I find myself thinking Be less anxious, be less busy, be less bothered, be less worried, and in all the frenzy, peace seems to fall farther and farther from my reach. And for me, it makes me think of like when you're trying to stay in a dream. Maybe you're having a crazy dream, you're like, where is this thing going? And you want to stay into it to see where the story goes, and you can't. As you try to focus in on it more and more, it seems to fall farther and farther from possibility. And I think peace, it seems, is not something you can grasp or buy. It's not something you can shout or fight your way into. Peace is deeper. It's far more active and complex. It's not a commodity that can be traded or exchanged. You can't just get it through one vacation, through racking up enough likes, shopping on Amazon, cutting people out of your life who you disagree with. Peace seems to be far more elusive, at least on the surface. And with that in mind, we come to our text today in Luke 2. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn them to Luke 2? It's a really common passage we read during this Christmas time, but go for it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now you see, you take a census so you can be sure that you are taxing enough. You wanna make sure that the burden is laying on the right places, and that's why they take censuses. These were a burdened people with taxes, so that's the whole frame for what Luke is saying. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, Israel's great king, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He belonged to a line of kings, And he went there to register with Mary, who had pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will cause joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign for you You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or as we normally hear it, peace on earth and goodwill towards man, towards humankind. So Jesus, would you just be with us today as we receive what you have for us? you're in your homes, would you just quiet your heart for a moment? Let even the words of that text soak in. Jesus, would you be with us as we unpack what's what's in here and what you have for us today? Thank you. Amen. Peace on earth and goodwill towards humankind. Peace on earth? This is, I think, a fundamentally weird thing to announce at a child's birth. I mean, you might pray for peace for new parents. If anyone's had kids before, you know what I mean. But I wouldn't be so audacious as to declare and announce at a birth. Do you know what I mean? Now, joy, I get that. If you've ever held a baby in your hands, especially if you were welcoming your first child into the world, joy washes over you. It's almost unspeakable. Even if there was a hard labor, a difficult journey that got you there, there is joy at the birth, at this reminder of new life that carries you through the tough moments that new life will inevitably bring. And hope, I get hope too, right? One of the other themes of Christmas. I realized this after my first child was born. After Evie, my daughter, was born. As I held her, I had this epiphany for the hope of life, that having a baby is almost the most physical expression of hope in some way. It is a declaration and a commitment to a future world that I will make this world suitable for you, this baby, my child. Surely better days will be ahead of us. We'll have to make it so. But peace, I do not know about peace. Worry for sure. I've, I, I met with, as soon as you meet your child, I met with all the dreams and hope for the life of this child, but also met with the anxiety and worry of what could go wrong. That doesn't sound like peace to me. In so many ways, standing in a hospital or a stable because there was no room for this Savior in the world in his own hometown. So in this room and in our little family, everything has changed, right? But my job didn't change. After welcoming our first baby, we didn't miraculously make more money or move into a more spacious apartment. All the problems of the world around us were still there. But that becomes the tension. Everything has changed inside here and almost nothing has changed beyond the walls. Maybe I've changed and maybe I carry that into the world, but what difference can that make for peace? And that's the tension that kind of hovers over this story that Luke is telling us. The shepherds, the audience of this angelic announcement, They clearly trusted the words coming from this angelic host. But imagine with me for the moment, just a moment, the tension that these shepherds, right, These, the the tension these shepherds were experiencing as these angels were declaring peace. It's, It's as if in the process of declaring peace, they're declaring the battle has been won, right? It's like mission accomplished. But has anything really changed for them in that moment? These shepherds were still at the bottom of the social class. They worked and lived with animals, so they were dirty. So people avoided them, and that hasn't changed. Rome was still this occupying foreign power, a powerful and violent force that ruled with brutality. That hasn't changed. So peace. The angels got something wrong here, right? That's what the shepherds are probably thinking, this sense of it can't be peace that they're declaring. In fact, peace was kind of already taken, Maybe the angels hadn't heard yet, but there was already peace in the Roman world. The Roman peace was the good news that Rome brought to the world. Peace was kind of Rome's brand. You've seen this if you've seen movies like Gladiator. Their motto was Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was their marketing strategy. It would have been their Instagram handle if they had Instagram back then, hashtag Pax Romana. Actually, can you put that up right here, Pax Romana, so I don't look lame as I point to this? Hashtag Pax Romana. Um, what Luke is telling us here is something so radical it would be obvious to his listeners but it's difficult to register for us Luke is stealing the language of empire something we've seen John do through our journey through Revelation he's taking the language from this Roman Empire Luke takes the language of a world in opposition to God and infuses it with the reality of the promises of God you see Rome had declared peace Rome had already declared that a savior had come, and his name was Caesar Augustus, that he brought peace to the nation. So this announcement of Jesus's birth is a subversive critique of the Roman rule. He was casting judgment on Rome and its vision for the world. Whatever they declared as peace was a lie. And Luke was saying the birth of this child, this promised Savior, has exposed that lie to the world. He would redefine peace, he would reestablish a peace that God himself and God alone can carry into the world. This story is about two kings and two visions for peace, and you can't have it both ways. You can't receive both kings. You cannot be divided on this. So for Luke to say, today a Savior is born, and this means peace for the world, he's taking a stand, and he's refusing to believe the lies of the propaganda that just because there is enough hype, enough power or promise, enough branding doesn't make it so. Just because someone says we're at peace, we're better off, it doesn't make it so. I kind of think of a Michael Scott in The Office where he is financially in ruin and he walks out of his office and to the office he just declares, I declare bankruptcy. But that's not how it works. That's the great thing about Michael Scott's character. That's not how it works. and That's not how it works. Rome is just saying peace is here. But that's not how it works. In reality, the peace that Rome brought was clearly not God's vision for peace. There is a description of the Roman peace, though. One one that comes from someone who was himself a Roman, a politician and historian in the time of the early church. His name is Tacitus. He was born in 60 AD, and he said this about Rome. He said, Romans have plundered the world, stripping naked the land in their hunger. They are driven by greed if their enemy is rich, by ambition if their enemy is poor. They ravage, they slaughter, they seize by false pretenses, and all of this they hail as the construction of an empire. And where in their wake nothing remains but a desert, they call that peace. That was Roman peace. Peace by a sword, peace through violence, peace by division and destruction. Peace through destruction and division, even in the hope of unity, cannot be peace, though. And even Rome knew this. They knew that they couldn't declare peace. They knew it couldn't convince everyone. So they learned to distract their people by what they called bread and circuses. You give a little charity once in a while, throw bread to the starving masses, a pretty solid infrastructure, maybe some stability, good roads, some bloody gladiator fights, and people could be tricked into thinking they were well off. They had it best, or even that they had peace. Right? This may sound a little familiar to us in our modern age. We have working internet hundreds of thousands of hours of Netflix and Prime and Apple Plus and all sorts of programming. We have Instagram and endless news broadcasts, and we have the gladiatorial combat of Sunday football. Now I'm joking, or at least I'm being ironic, but this isn't really unfamiliar to us. We see this. People selling, we live in a land of marketing, a world where people are selling to us all the time the type of life that we have or should want. And Luke calls their bluff. He spells out the lies because the biblical vision for pre, for peace, this word shalom in Hebrew or arene in the New Testament, this word many of you know is such a much more beautiful reality. One Jewish commentator, Rabbi Isaac Arama, he describes peace. He says it's not just an absence of conflict. It doesn't even just mean my own peace of mind. He says that biblical shalom means wholeness, completeness, perfect. It's a harmonious working together of a complex system, an integrated diversity, a state in which everything is in its proper place and all is at one with the physical and ethical laws of the universe. Wow. We all say amen. That is something to hope for, something to long for. But has that state ever existed on this side of human rebellion? Have we ever known that reality to be true universally? No, but that's the point. Rome declares a peace that will never come, and they do so through bloodshed. But God announces a peace through the vulnerable child and declares that peace will forever be slowly born into this good world. It doesn't come with conquering. It comes with a helpless child. Just because God's peace is not yet universal, it's not yet covering the whole creation, doesn't make it less real. It just means that it's still breaking through. It's still coming into fullness in us and in our world. And these are the two visions of peace that are on display. And in one sense, we can begin to see the Biblical vision of peace by looking at its opposite. We can actually take inventory of our own lives, ourselves, and our world by seeing the opposite. If shalom means complete, then the opposite is incomplete. If it's harmonious, then the opposite is dissonant or divisive. If it means wholeness, then the opposite is fractured or divided. A divided self, divided attention, Divided love, divided family, divided community. In short, it means that all is not well or as it should be in the world or in me. How are you doing so far with that inventory? Hmm. And just like we saw at the beginning with my attitude towards Christmas, how peace is received and welcomed, like me welcoming and receiving this Christmas season, How peace is welcomed and received will shape how it grows. This is even built into the image of a child savior. Can you welcome a child into your arms while holding a weapon? Can you welcome a child into your arms while holding anything? No, you put everything down so that you can receive this child. Can you wield a sword and cherish a baby in your arms? No. You see, if we pursue peace through violence, then we create a peace that can be cut down by a sword at any moment. If we seek justice through injustice, what we produce is not justice. If we seek our own peace of mind through grasping and clawing distracted means, whatever we get on the other side is not peace. It might be a little quiet, it might even be a good vacation, but it's not peace. Peace, shalom begins right now in this moment when we choose to trust God that He has given us His shalom, His wholeness to live in right now and receive it in these small and mundane ways that we might and that might lead to the large and world-changing shalom that is the biblical vision for peace. See, if you want to see peace in the world, you have to be a peaceful person. If you want to see wholeness for others, then you have to be moving from a divided self. I wanna make the suggestion that the greatest enemy, the greatest obstacle to peace in my life, in your life, and in our world is not violence, but it's a divided self. It's a divided self that creates a divided family, that creates a divided church, that creates a divided community, that creates a divided city. I don't just mean political division, I mean division at the innermost level. If I'm not at home in myself learning to cherish my limitations and my gifts, my cross and life on the other side of my cross, how can I be at peace with myself? And if I can't do that, how would I be at peace? How would I be at home with my own family? How would I be at home with my neighbor? How would I be at home with someone opposite me? There's no way there'd be peace in my community. My point is that we don't need an occupying army for our souls to cry out for peace. We don't need the bombs of war on our home soil to know the wounds of battle and division and oppression and hatred. We don't need a nervous breakdown or a clinical diagnosis to know something in my soul is crying out for wholeness. We live in a time of division in our political world, in our online communities and discussion, our church families, are very, Holiday dining tables, our own families live divided right now. It's been a crazy year. But divided in my own mind? Distracted, anxious, uncertain, fearful. Over the past year, guys, I've experienced more tension in some of my closest friendships and even my family than I've ever experienced in my life. Who to vote for, how to respond to the pandemic what the real truth of reality is it's truly crazy to me how much this conversation has to happen but in the new testament there's a word to describe that sense of being pulled apart that sense of being pulled apart from the inside out and it's a word merimna and it's usually translated as anxiety the image i get when you hear or see this word this word it's like trying to hold on to two cars going in two different directions Or like kind of comically even, having one foot on the ground and one foot going up an escalator. It will end badly for you. You want to go that way, then you can't also go that way. You want to be attentive to this thing, you can't be attentive to that thing. You will be divided up. And this world seeks to divide us up, divide our own minds up, let alone our communities. But we've grown accustomed to living in this chronically anxious state in a chronically anxious state divided up world. And we know what it means to be people without peace, without wholeness. We live this every day in our communities, ravaged by poverty, by sickness, by pain. Each day that I get up to filled with anxiety and fear about, will I have enough in the bank this month? Will my kids be okay? Will we get through this pandemic? Maybe for you, it's will my marriage make it? Will I ever wake up and not feel the dread of self-hatred, or feeling insufficient, depressed, overcome with my own trauma, let alone the trauma and pain of a community and world out there? We are a world in desperate need of a different way. And in the biblical mind, this is why the word shalom, peace, doesn't even show up in the biblical text until long after the fall from Eden, after human beings have made a mess of our lives, a mess of our relationships, and a mess of the world only after we've tried to rule it our way with our wisdom and have seen it go to hell, then the vision for peace becomes a longing within us. We know there is something not right in the world and we long for a way out. And I'm not naive. I'm not a curmudgeon. I'm not a Luddite. In many ways, our world has made remarkable progress. We don't live with the sword of a Roman soldier at our throats every day. And that is tragically rare in human history. Tragically so. But that reality for us isn't the reality for everyone. And even more, the Roman vision of peace still lives in me. The world is still declaring peace in a thousand ways that I'm tempted, that we're tempted to believe and be distracted by. But the good news is, no matter how Pretty we wrap the progress of the world, no matter how technology or politics or economics makes things easier or even makes things better. If we are content at pursuing anything other than God's peace, God's wholeness, then it's like coal in a gift wrap. The paper is prettier than the gift. It will leave us unsatisfied and longing for more and still divided up. If I think I can have it both ways, do all things have it all, be all, then I'm living a lie of peace that God has never offered to me. Peace comes with choices and we must choose a different way. There is a way of peace. If not, life will continue to be the shadow of life He wants for us. It will never be enough to sustain us and sure enough, it will take one bad election cycle, one pandemic, one lost job, one more video of a reminder of the injustice in this world To send me or us spiraling back down, clawing back towards the illusion of wholeness that I once held, or, or even more so, more determined to make it happen my way. But thank God there's another way. And that's what we're celebrating during this season. In the words of Isaiah, For unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. The same one who is our peace is Mighty and Wonderful Counselor. Only God can bring peace and wholeness because God alone is whole. And it's not just about the outcome of peace. It's about how we live on the way to that end. If we we pursue peace for the sake of the world, we must first become people of peace. You see, violent people use violent means. Divided people make divided worlds, but peace-filled people bring peace. One of my heroes is a man named Bishop Desmond Tutu. He was, uh, he was responsible for the Truth and Reconciliation Movement in in South Africa as that was moving to this post-apartheid world. What does it mean to reconcile a nation and in the midst of that big, huge reconciling a whole nation from years of atrocity and pain? He was quoted once saying, Until compassion takes root within ourselves, our inner violence will sabotage any social healing we seek to promote. And peace works the same. Peace comes from people who are learning to entrust their entire lives to God. And then peace emanates through them. They become like little sanctuaries of peace, shalom, that inject peace into whatever community or relationship or situation they find themselves. So when Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be divided up or cut up. Don't be split into fractions. Don't let your attention wander. He is saying, be whole by trusting your good Father with your life. If you want peace, then you have to put down the sword. If you want to trust God with your well-being and sense of self, then quit letting any other person tell you the best past path for your life. Not your online community, not your newsfeed or whoever else, whoever else you look up to. Jesus has to set that up for you. Your boss can't tell you that you are whole, so let him be your boss and quit letting him define your value as a person. You can let him help you get better at your job, for sure, but he or she cannot decide your place as the beloved of God. This is why Peter encourages a church scattered across Asia Minor to this famous first, to cast your cares. That word is merimna. Cast your anxiety, cast your split division up on him because he cares for you. Why can you bring that attention of all these things, the anxiety and fear, onto God, because He knows how to handle them, because He cares for you. Why can I cast my cares, my anxiety, all of that? Because God cares for us. Rome doesn't care about you. Caesar doesn't care about you. The crowds don't care about you. Big companies don't care about you. But the Prince of Peace does. The Creator of the heavens and earth does. He has my best interest at heart, your best interest at heart, And he is working together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Does it mean that all things are good? No. Does it mean that all things as they're meant to be? No. Does it mean that he's arranged and orchestrated all the bad things in my life? No. It means that even in those painful things, we'll be okay. Even if it costs me my life, we'll be okay. I know those are difficult words. It's difficult even saying them right now. But I get the sense that they're truer than we can even begin to imagine. Hmm. Remember, we follow a Savior, the one whose birth we celebrate this week, who was the fullest picture of a flourishing human life. Peace just exuded from him. People were drawn to him because of his love and his humor and his lightness and his ability to be himself, his ability to be whole in the midst of incredible things. He was a man of peace, and he was met with violence. Peace has less to do with outcomes or situation and more to do with knowing whose hands you've entrusted your life to. This is why we look at a man at a cross and declare him to be the prince of peace. Those are pretty stark images. But amidst all the division in the world Jesus was undivided. Think of the prayers that he prayed. Every day Jesus prayed this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Only a God of wholeness can bring wholeness. That was in Jesus' bones. Amidst all the violence he refused to lift a sword he knew the words of Isaiah, God shall judge between nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Only the kingdom means can bring kingdom peace. And amidst all the fear in this world, Jesus knew what was on the other side of fear. Think of this prayer on his lips Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And later on that psalm says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the midst of fear, he knew his Father as the Good Shepherd, the Wonderful Counselor. And whatever the world could throw at Jesus, it would not topple his Father. These aren't just Christian sensibilities or good psalms or good phrases, catchphrases for the church. For Jesus, this was a reality that was truer than the nails in his hands. In fact, think about it. In a world of violence, what other outcome could there be for someone who is filled with peace? For a person of wholeness in a divided world, the world set all of its power to Jesus to divide him up, and yet he refused even unto his own death. Now i'm grateful that today is not my day to be measured for my cross but it will come just as it did for the baby in a manger that we celebrate this time of year it will come in tiny and immense ways in our lives but take heart remember what jesus said to his disciples after telling them that he would be going to the cross his disciples were sad and afraid, and had no idea what Jesus was saying after telling them he was going to die. And in all of that, after telling them why, he says to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, wholeness. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So if trouble is a guarantee, then how might I be prepared with his presence as I encounter this troubled world? Well, I choose today to refuse to be divided up and take a step, even one step, towards wholeness. Maybe today you're like me, and you have to begin with your own divided, fractured mind. So anxious, so afraid to be present to one moment because it's overwhelming that you can't stop the busyness or workaholism or anything else to distract you. Maybe like so many of us, it's easier to waste our attention scrolling on Instagram, shopping on Amazon, staring at your newsfeed, anything to find the good news of the next thing that will tell you you're okay, that will make you whole, make you at home in yourself. We have been tricked into thinking we can just multitask and buy our way into a life we want, but we can't. It will only produce more division and less peace. For some of us, It might just be learning to be present at this moment, content with the circumstance of a boring, mundane, and even uncertain moment. A moment that if you were present enough to, you might discover that it has enough life right now where you are, even in your home right now as you're listening to this or in your car. It has enough life that might even lead to gratitude. Most of us aren't able to be present to any moment without wishing it was somehow different. Well, let's start right there. Let's learn to be present right in this moment without wishing it were different and see what God has to say to you. You may have no idea how to do this. You may have no idea how to get out of your multitasking mind, your distraction, watching Netflix while on your phone, writing papers while binge watching a series on Apple Plus. For you, start small. Try single tasking. Try doing one thing with incredible focus. You can begin to retrain your divided mind to attend to one thing, the one thing that is needed in this moment. And little by little, your presence will grow. The division will heal and peace will begin to emerge. And see if the tasks or needs right now are completely manageable if they're not hammered with the endless worries of tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. And that reality is a vision of wholeness for many of us. Put your phone away and play with your kids. Put up Christmas lights without posting about it. Let the moment be enough and bring all of that into your 10 minutes of prayer and let God draw your panicked attention back to him over and over and over again. Maybe that's all you get. Maybe that's the place to start for you. That's one simple step towards peace. And I know that sounds simplistic, but most of us are beginners when it comes to that divided mind. The second response, for some of us it's honestly a bit heavier. It's the way that we've chosen to divide up people in our lives, in our community. Do I just avoid or ignore someone in my circle or in my family because I disagree with who they voted for or which organizations they support? Do I exclude them from my peace because of something that... It's big, but it can't be that big to exclude them from peace in your life. The God of the universe, the Prince of Peace, longing for you to be a sanctuary of shalom. Have you done that? How do you invite them into it then? How do you take a step moving towards wholeness for their sake and for your sake? Have you been sowing the seeds of division by how you exclude or banish someone from your life, then ask how instead you can sow the seeds of peace. And finally, this third response. Um, In some ways, it it, it might be overlooked. It might even be hard. Um, But for others, maybe you're flourishing. Maybe you have a regular rhythm of prayer, meditation, and your inner life is flourishing. Maybe you... Have genuine peace of mind, but maybe you've achieved that at the cost of ignoring the injustice and the needs of those in your own family, your own neighborhood, or your city. And I want you to hear this. Your peace cannot exclude them. So this call for you is to move beyond yourself beyond your own peace of mind, your own meditation, your own personal faith, and your call is to now work for the peace of others and for the justice of others. And those, I think, are the three responses that I sense as we come to a close here. So our response is really simple. Where are you divided up today? Where is God moving you to welcome His peace for yourself and for the sake of others? And To be honest, I I think as we're preparing to receive this Savior, as we're prepared, I love that line in in the song, in the classic worship song, prepare Him room, make a home in ourselves for this Savior who is Himself our peace. He's at home in peace and He brings peace where He goes. And I think as I was telling those three possible responses we're gonna to wait together for a second, but I think those are really clear. I think as soon as I said those, most people go, that's me. Maybe, honestly, if, if you're like me, maybe it's a couple of those categories. And you're like, yes, how do I respond, Lord? How do I do this? And if you're in your living room right now, or if you're driving, in your, or if you're in your car, hopefully not driving, because I want you to close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. Um, maybe just, would you, as a response, just begin by opening your hands? We're just gonna wait together. Whatever I said, let the Spirit land what He wants to land. He might be speaking something completely different to you. So Holy Spirit, come. Would you give us eyes to see where you're leading, ears to hear how you're speaking, inviting us into a sense of your shalom, your peace, your wholeness. Even now, would you take our fractured and division divided minds and would you draw them to focus on the one thing that's right in front of us? Whatever response or call you have for us right now. Hmm. For some of you, would you, just keep your eyes closed and hands open, I think. For some of you, I think you can't imagine waking up and not feeling the dread of anxiety. And I just want you to be present right now, not tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Can you welcome God's peace for one minute today? Right here in this space, one minute. Then maybe tomorrow, two minutes. And sure enough, we'll see that peace is possible. Wholeness is possible. Stillness from a fractured mind to a whole mind is possible. And I just want to also just pray specifically for those who are feeling the strain of relational division. You may very well be in the room with someone now, and it feels like a chasm between you. And this might be a space for confession, for repentance, for forgiveness. And not just to prove a point, not to um, get your way or to be proven right, but to lay down the sword. Maybe you have it. Maybe you have the power in your hands to destroy this relationship right now, to hurt the other person, to hold it over them. And God is saying, Would you lay it down that you might be able to receive me? Welcome my peace. Welcome my Prince of Peace into your arms. Lay down control and the need to be justified. Can we begin to sow peace as a family, as a community? So, Lord, we're so grateful. that you are a God of wholeness, taking all of our fractured and frayed things and somehow weaving them back together into this beautiful image. We're grateful that you, um, you do that a thousand ways every day. I pray that you just lead us in response now to the vulnerability, the honesty, that we might lay down whatever swords we're carrying, whatever ways of control we're carrying to get to that peace. We lay it down, God. We ask that you would help us in this repentance, this responding to you, turning our attention and our minds back to you, God. And I just, as we close now, I just want to pray this blessing over you from Numbers, such a, a beautiful priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So as you go today, go in God's peace and in fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed today. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.